0: Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. Welcome back to Inside Arsenal. It's Thursday. We are close now, everyone. We are very, very close to the weekend. Just two days away from Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. Lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. Hopefully, the Ken Arteta side can give us a very nice start to the weekend and we can enjoy, sort of sit back and enjoy the rest of the weekend after a nice Arsenal win. Huge game. Of course we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show got some plenty of stuff to discuss as well. we've got uh Ivan Tony's been speaking out about his immediate future of course player that we know that Arsenal are interested in potentially bringing to the club at some point um got a little bit of talk about Mika Birith, who is on the move once again has come back from his loan at motherwell. Much to the disappointment of those at Motherwell, it has to be said. Got plenty of questions and comments from you guys. We'll look a little bit ahead to the game against Crystal Palace. They lost last night against Everton. Roy Hodgson coming in for some uh, bit of stick from the Crystal Palace fans after that defeat at Goodison Park as well. So plenty to discuss. And we'll start with Ivan Tony, shall we? It's been the big news, I would say. Um, Obviously, he's dominating the headlines at the moment. Is Ban is... Well, it has come to an end. He's going to make his return to Brentford this weekend. Huge moment for him, huge moment for Brentford, of course, and a pretty big moment for the Premier League. One of the star strikers in the Premier League, obviously been out for eight months now because of that ban um, due to betting breaking the betting guidelines in the, uh, in the Premier League. Um, and he's had to sort of sit back and take a watching role for the first half of the season. But he is now back. And he gave an interview to Sky Sports yesterday ahead of his long-awaited return. Probably not the sort of words that Brentford fans would have been hoping for from Ivan Tony. I would say. He's very honest. He's always comes across as a pretty honest guy when he does interviews. Doesn't really sort of fudge his words, really. If he wants to say something, he'll say it. And basically said yesterday that he would potentially still be open for a move this month. I think, looking at his words, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think he will stay and he absolutely will want to pay Brentford back. He's spoken about that before as well um, for the trust and the faith that they've shown in him and the support they've given him while he has been banned. But he was asked about um, a move potentially in the summer or even in January and he said you can never predict when it is the right time to move elsewhere but I think it's obvious I want to play for a top club everybody wants to play for a top club that is fighting for titles whether it's this January that is the right time for a club to come in and pay the right money who knows but my main focus is to do what I do on the pitch and let the background work take care of itself so definitely no sort of firm closing the door on a January move I think the market is going to dictate however that The move move in January is probably uh, a little bit too soon for Ivan Tony because of the money involved. Because of the lack of money that clubs across the board in the Premier League have to pay right now, is probably going to mean he is going to stay. We know Arsenal are interested in Ivan Tony. He's a player that they like, um, amongst other strikers that they're also looking at. Um, But it's always felt that if Arsenal are going to make a move for him, that the summer is a far more likely option than January. You know, nothing has changed in terms of what I've been saying all month and boring you with all month in terms of the messages we get from Arsenal and the likelihood of doing any significant business this month is still very, very slim. And when you look at Ivan Tony and you look at the money that it's going to cost to prize him away from Brentford, then that is a big, big money. That is a significant piece of transfer business. It'd be the biggest piece of transfer business in the in January, without a shadow of a doubt, should he leave Brentford? and I just cannot see that happening, no matter even if he is uh, interested in making the move. And I think we all know when it comes to Ivan Tony, he is certainly interested in making a move to Arsenal. But if he's going to get that move, like I said, I think it will be in the summer rather than January. Talking about strikers... Now, this I really wanted to discuss in today's show. Now, Matt Law, obviously a fantastic reporter over the Daily Telegraph, very well connected with Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea, another club who are very interested in potentially bringing Ivan Toni uh, across London. Now, Matt has done a story here on um, Armando Broja, who David Ornstein also reported yesterday, that Chelsea are willing to let go this month. And you look at the price tag that Chelsea value Brozier at is pretty remarkable. Matt reporting that Chelsea value Brozier at between 50 and 60 million pounds. This is a he scored one Premier League goal for Chelsea this season, scored two goals in all total this season, one in the cup, one in the league, and they value him at 50 to 60 million pounds. If there's ever an example of how bonkers the transfer market now is, it's that this is a player who, in my view, is worth. 20 million max. You know, what has he done to be worth anything like 50 to 60 million pounds? It was just a few years ago that Bamiang was coming to Arsenal from Borussia Dortmund for that sort of money. And now suddenly Armando Broja, with nothing really on his CV. Decent player, you know, of course, decent player, but a 10 to 20 million pound player. And yet you're being valued at 50, 60 million pounds because of the ridiculous nature of some of the transfer fees that have gone on from that club in particular it has to be said, Chelsea inflating the market with some ridiculous deals over the last few years. And now you're getting value, You're getting players valued at this. And this is why it's going to be so hard for, for clubs to move players on now because the values are so over the top that it's very, very hard to sell players. And, you know, I've talked about Eddie Nketiah a lot in the past about if when he leaves Arsenal, and I think he will leave Arsenal at some point. I think that's probably pretty much granted that it will happen. But if seriously, Brozier is being valued at 50 to 60 million pounds, and if someone is silly enough to actually go to Chelsea and pay that sort of money, then what does that make Eddie Nketiah worth? Like I said, Brozier scored one Premier League goal this season. Yeah, Nketiah's on, what, five or six? And there's a history of scoring goals in the Premier League over the last few seasons. Not absolute, Not prolific, of course, but still has a history of scoring goals at the top level in England. Still young, long-term contract. So if Brozier worth 50 to 60 million, which he's not, but if that's what he's valued at, and if someone, as I said, is just mad enough to pay that sort of fee for him, then what, I mean, what are you, what's Eddie Nketiah worth? And that's why I've had comments on here before when I talk about Eddie and what, you know, I'd be wanting 40 million pounds for him. And that was before I saw this. But, you know, Eddie's got to be worth more than Brozier, surely 100%. And I just think this is such a prime example of the crazy nature of the transfer market now that we're suddenly talking about players who are worth no more than 10 20 million pounds being valued at 50 to 60 million it's crazy and it's really damaging to football I think that this is the way things are going now and it yeah it just blows my mind it really really does and I hope that no one is silly enough to pay that sort of money and I cannot imagine that they are by any means but if they did then that will certainly give Chelsea an awful lot of money to potentially go and get an Ivan Tony or someone like that. So definitely want to keep an eye on. But it's one when I when I saw it this morning, I was genuinely shocked at the valuation um, that that Chelsea have for him. I just think it's mad, and I cannot, sh- I just can't see anyone paying that sort of cash. But let me know what you guys think, of course, in the comments below. And if you know what, what would you value Brozier at and. Um, what does that mean that Eddie Nketiah is worth if or straight, when Arsenal do decide to cash in on Eddie Nketiah? What sort of money should they be expecting from him? Before I I move on, actually, I should have flagged this at the start of the show. I'm sitting down with James Bench today for Inside Arsenal Extra Time. We're going to be recording at about 3 p.m. It will go out the usual time, so around sort of between five and six o'clock this evening. But if you have any questions or comments or anything you want us to discuss in Inside Extra Time, then please do let, us know, let me know in the comments below. Reply now to this. Start it with extra time and then your comment, your question, whatever you want to discuss, just reply it there. So, yeah, we're recording a little bit later on today, about 3 p.m. So, hopefully, if you're watching this video early enough, you've still got time to get involved in that show by leaving a comment below. Right, moving on to another striker, um, Mika Birif, who's had a very good loan spell for Motherwell in the first half of the season. Obviously, 20-year-old Arsenal striker came in, been at Arsenal for a couple of years now, came in from Fulham. Um, highly rated, scored plenty of goals at youth football and has had a really good spell up in Scotland for the first half of the season. I think he played 15 games, he scored six, set up five and um, they love him up there. But for them, there's a big, big disappointment because Arsenal have recalled him from that loan spell. He's come back. Stuart uh, Kettlewell, the Um, Motherwell manager was talking about it today at his press conference this morning says Mika has been recalled. It's been a difficult one for us over the last 24 hours. It's a major, major disappointment. This was a little bit unexpected. The conversation was that Mika would stay here until the end of the season just last week, unless something big came on the table for Arsenal that they couldn't turn down. They believe there's an opportunity to send him to another club that takes him that step beyond where we are just now. Now I expect him to end up at Sheffield Wednesday. They are keen on signing him on loan for the second half of the season I believe talks are ongoing to get that done the fact that Arsenal have now recalled the striker from Motherwell suggests that that is pretty much a done deal and it will happen pretty pretty quickly so disappointing for Motherwell no doubt but it'll be going to be interesting to see how he gets on in the championship if he can continue the sort of form he's shown up in Scotland then he'll certainly uh, raise his profile even more down here you would suggest In England. So it's definitely a step up, no doubt about it. Championships are a step up from uh, the SPL. So um, it's a big opportunity for him should this move to Wednesday go through as expected. But yeah, for Motherwell, clearly very, very disappointed at missing out or losing out on him for the second half of the season. Ready to pop the question? Just looking ahead to the uh, game against Palace at the weekend, Palace going out of the FA Cup yesterday, losing 1 0 to Everton. Andre Gomez, a really good free kick to win that game for Everton. Palace disappointing again. Roy Hodgson booed by the Palace fans. He took off Eze in the second half, about 25 minutes to 30 minutes to go, I think, when they were losing, and he got booed by the supporters came in for quite a bit of stick for that decision. He came out after the game speaking about it and said, "and said, look, I understand why they're booing. I would probably would have booed as well, but I think they would have been even more disappointed if Eze had stayed on and got injured and missed out on the Arsenal game. Hodgson made a few changes for that. He was very, you could see afterwards when you were listening to him, he was very sort of disappointed in the scheduling and the fact that, um, uh, that they've got to go and play Arsenal at 12.30 on Saturday, having played on Wednesday night. In Liverpool, and he was kind of using, so he had to rest a few players, give some players breaks, and then take off the likes of Eze to protect him for the game against Arsenal at the weekend. It's going to be interesting to see what the lineup is for Palace. They're arriving in a bad run of form. Like I said, Hodgson coming in for criticism. I think they've only won a couple in about 12 or 13 games in all competitions. Big, big game for Arsenal. They've got to win this game. Palace have got a decent enough record. They've caused some surprises at times. Uh, against arsenal even at the emirates they have so um you know arsenal have to be switched on for it but you know you would think the advantage is arsenal have had a lot of time to prepare for this game palace have had the the cup replay against everton you would you know this is a game arsenal just have to win they cannot cannot afford to slip up again in this game it's going to be really really Crucial for them. Mikhail speaking tomorrow at the press conference. 1:30. That is now being confirmed. I'll be heading to London Colney, for that press conference. So keep your eye out for all the usual stuff from me from there. It'll be very interesting to get his views on you know team news, injury-wise, where is How's things going with Zinchenko? How are things going with Tom's Partey? Um, you know, how did things go in Dubai? What's the mood like? There's going to be plenty of questions asked at Mikel Arteta. It's our first chance to sit down and talk with him since the game against Liverpool. It'll be really interesting to get his views on exactly how. The mood in the camp is after those three successive defeats. Right, moving on to some questions and comments from you guys. There's one here, it says, Hi Charles, I advise party starts together with Declan Rice in the midfield for the Palace game. Remember, both are strong on the ball, can't easily lose it, and are also powerful shooters. So Arteta should try them and see, yeah, look, that would be fantastic, but it's not going to happen because party's not going to be fit for the Palace game. So, um, you know, I can't wait to see that midfield play together. We've only seen it once so far this season in the community shield. That first game against Crystal Palace, uh, sorry, against Manchester City at Wembley. Um, But it's not going to happen yet. Hopefully, it's going to happen very, very soon. And we will find out a little bit more from Mikel Arteta tomorrow in terms of exactly where Thomas Partey is and his fitness and all that. But for now, not yet. We're going to have to be a little bit more patient before we see that midfield pairing. But I can't wait to see it and how the plan Mikel has for using that. You know, I can't imagine he'll use it in every single game. um, But when he does use it, especially in big games, you know you go to the Etihad, you got you go to Spurs in the second half of the season. You play those two in midfield alongside Odegaard, and I think you've got a really, really strong centre of the pitch there with some excellent attributes that should dovetail very, very nicely together with each other. Uh, here's one from Gareth, who says uh, he has a question on the recent defensive wobbles. Says, do you think this might be directly linked to our? Uh, I can never say this word. It's really annoying. You've put it in there. Gareth. Uh, pro- I, I'm not even going to say it because I I, I stumble across it all the time and everyone laughs at me for it in press conferences and stuff like that when I'm reading it. Um, nervous players, nervous fans, nervous defending. Cheers, Gareth. I think it probably does. I think if you don't score goals, you always get a little bit more nervy as a team, don't you? Because it's just the pressure of the scoreboard. If you're 1-2-0 up, 3-0 up, everything's a lot easier. But if it's 0-0 nil, nil and the game is on a knife edge, then, of course, you're going to be a little bit more nervousness creeping into your play at the back. Because whenever a team comes forward, everyone's going to be a little bit on edge. Because, you know, if you go behind, then there's a long way back, especially in a league like the Premier League. And... Um, And so that nervousness creeps through the team. It goes into the fans as well. You could feel it against Liverpool. The longer that second half went on, when it was still nil-nil and Arsenal missed all those chances, you could feel the energy in the stadium turn. It started to get nervous. You know, the energy in the first half was great. The atmosphere was great. And then the second half, it just got very, very nervy, especially as Liverpool started to push forward when they got those sort of set pieces. And you had Trent Alexander-Arnold standing over them there was definitely nervousness in the air and that seeps into players and that leads to mistakes happening like we saw with the own goal. Um, so yes, I think it 100% does. Uh, it, 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 the 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 two are linked. Um, but I also think when you look at Arsenal's sort of recent defensive wobble, so much of it comes down to set pieces as well. So many of the goals they're conceding comes down to set pieces at the moment. And that's something they've got to sort out because they are really good at it at the start of the season. And they've just fallen away a little bit when it comes to defending set pieces, you have to put it down to the quality of delivery as well. I was talking to Sam Dean, um, of course, was on the show a couple of weeks, uh, a few days ago, and he was he was mentioning it, wasn't he? That the quality of set piece takers that Arsenal come up against have been very strong in recent weeks. You had Trent for Liverpool, you had Luton, who are very very good at set pieces, have been all season. A lot of their goals come from that. They scored two of them from there. You played against West Ham. You got you know, um, uh, oh my God, I forgot his name. What's well, the West Ham player? How have I forgotten his name? You know who, who I mean. Um, James ward prowse uh, You don't really get a better set-piece taker in the Premier League than him. And of course, one of West Ham's goals came from a set-piece as well. So I think that probably comes into it as well. But definitely, yeah, I think if you're, if you're one or 2 nil up, then there is far less nervousness in the team and in the stands when uh, the opposition starts to attack. Here's one from Rural Nostradamus who was at, obviously talking about the the Champions League final in reply to what I was speaking about yesterday on uh, the Chronicles of Aguna podcast with with Harry. Um, yeah, just painful memories sitting in that Stade de France after the game. Oh, I hate it. I honestly I hate even thinking about it. It was just just heartbreaking. The journey home, the plane home, plane flight home. i always remember that getting on that plane. Just Arsenal fans in just the disappointment on everyone's face and the journey back to London. Oh, it was so bad. And then walking through the airport and you had the TV cameras outside sort of capturing the images of the Arsenal fans returning home disappointed. Just awful. I've been to two champion, I've been to two European finals in Paris, lost both of them. The Rails Aragotha in the Cup Winners' Cup to Naeem from the halfway line and then the Champions League. Bad, bad times. But anyway, you say on that saddening note, if you had to sell two players to cash in, as we know Cedric and I on any exits won't do much towards FFP, who would it be? Um... For me, I mean, I, I probably would. I pro, if a really good offer comes in for Thomas Party in the summer, I would probably sell, and that's no, not me. Having, you know, I love Thomas Party and I think he's a fantastic player, and I think he makes Arsenal better. But I think if a bit, if a Saudi Arabian team comes in and whacks you know thirty or forty million pounds on the table for Thomas Party in the summer, I think you just have to take it because of his age, because of his contract situation, because of his injury record it just makes sense from a business point of view and then you can reinvest that money in a real top quality midfielder which I think Arsenal are going to need to do so depending on the bid that would come in if it was a really sizable one then I think Thomas Park you would have to consider selling um, I think Emil Smith-Rowe as well as painful as that would be especially for me he's a big Emil Smith-Rowe fan I think if you're not going to play if he's not going to play which it feels like he's just not going to play then you may as well sell him and get some money in. It's pure profit. He's a homegrown lad. And I just think for him as well, he just needs to go and play football. It's just a waste of talent for him to be sitting around, not playing. So I think probably those two, as well as, you know, if a really good big came in Freddie and Ketia, you know, if someone whacked, if someone comes in and whacks 50 million pounds, 40 million pounds on the table, Freddie and Ketia in the summer, I would probably think you'd have to have to accept that, especially if you're going to go and splash a lot of money on another striker as well so probably those two or three one two two of those three I would sell um but I think Thomas Party a lot depends on what sort of transfer fee you're going to get for him um here's one from uh ooh, how do you pronounce that Royalstad 8532 says Charles I've heard you say more than once that you absolutely don't want to see Havertz at left back and I'm not saying I do want that but I'm wondering why you feel so adamant about it um because he's not a left back I don't there's not really much more to it than that I just don't want to see Kai Havertz as a left back he's you know, he's a good player. He's very, you know, he he does work hard. He, you know, he turns the ball over well, but he does that in an attacking sense. I, I you know, it's very, very different. I think pressing from the front and bringing that sort of style of game to you, to the game in a, in an attacking third, than actually having to concentrate really much as a defender. I think it's very, very different. And so everyone can say oh, he's got the attributes to do well as a defender because he does it well in the, in the final third. I wouldn't want him going one on one against a really good winger at, at left back. I just don't think. You know, we worry about Zinchenko and his defensive capabilities as an inverted left back. Um, imagine what it'd be like with Kai Havertz. It's just, yeah, it's just no, not for me. That there's there's no other scientific reason that I can give based on data or analysis. Or, or analysis, it's just the fact that he is just he's a he's an attacking player, I just wouldn't want him a left back. So that's about it. There's no more more I can really say about it, uh, to be honest. But thank you very much, everyone, for watching or listening. Of course, as usual, like I said, if you're still watching at this point, then uh, you have a few hours to get your questions or comments or opinions in to be included in today's Inside Arsenal Extra Time show with James Benj, recording that at about 3pm UK time, today, which is Thursday. So if you're watching this and it's before 3pm and you want to get involved, put a comment below with the word extra time at the front and then your comment question uh, or opinion and we'll get it all included. Until then, everyone, have a very good Thursday. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.